0: In today's episode, we spend a few more minutes talking about relativism. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for listening to Preach Impediments, made possible by Eden Hollow. Check out what's being written and made available by going to edenhollow.com. Today I want to begin by reading a few verses from John 18. We'll start in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? That very famous question that Pilate asked there at the end is still being asked today. And I find, as I talk to people in the world, that it's being asked by people who actually share much in common with Pilate. Those who want to justify themselves, make themselves feel better about the choices they've made or about the life that they live. Others who just don't have answers. And so... Instead of doing the hard work of finding answers, they just ask, what is truth? There are others who don't want to find answers. They're not even looking for answers. And when they are faced with truth, when truth is dropped into their life in some way, their response is just to reject that truth exists at all. And then there's this cultural movement that we call postmodernism that basically argues that there is no objective truth. And so those who are more committed to culture than they are to God, they tend to ask what is truth. We oftentimes struggle with trying to come to terms with the idea that there are things that are right, whether we like them or not. Because the truth is we like to define our own truth based on the way we feel, based on the way we think, or based on some other personal standard instead of an objective standard. And this is a struggle that has existed from the very beginning, and it's the same battle that the apostles fought even in the first century. Where I preach, we are currently going through the book of Colossians, And there's a couple of verses there in Colossians chapter 2 that give us little glimpses of the truths, and I say that with quotations around it, that the average everyday Joe had given themselves over to in Colossae and in the ancient world. One of them is found in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8. There it says, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. You see, there we are told that there are some who were giving themselves over to the world's idea of truth instead of to Christ's idea of truth. They had bought into society's philosophies, and that is a problem we still face even in the church today. One of those philosophies that, uh, that have come into the church is this idea that you are enough. You see it on bumper stickers. You see it on t-shirts. People love this idea that you are enough, but part of the whole premise of the gospel is that you are not enough. God is enough. Jesus is enough. You are not. You are not what God intends for you to be on your own merit or by your own power. And so this philosophy that you are enough, that, that feel-good idea, just isn't an idea we should feel good about. Others will argue that God wants me to be happy And while there is some truth in that, that is not God's main goal for us. God's goal is for us to be holy, and that holiness will lead to happiness. There are those who will argue that God won't give you more than you can handle. Again, not a true statement. God is the master at giving you more than you can handle because he knows when there's more than you can handle, you will turn to the one who can handle it, him. He wants you to despair even unto death, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, about himself. We'll argue that they are in a better place. That is so not true to so many in the world or so many funerals that we go to when you hear that statement given. You know, we don't honestly know Not only what exactly happens after we die, but on top of that, when we say that kind of statement about somebody who has not given themselves to the Lord, well, then we are arguing against what the Bible teaches as truth. Now, I by no means want to cause distress or add to someone's grief, but that's not a statement I should be making. It's a philosophy that is not truth. You know, most modern philosophies are designed to make us feel good, to make us feel better about bad things, and to honestly feel better about ourselves. But the whole point of the book of Colossians is that any idea that doesn't center on the throne and lordship of Christ is a diversion from truth. It's something that is not going to get us anywhere. And that kind of falsehood that kind of deceit is always going to cause trouble. We also had mentioned there in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, this idea of human tradition, that people have, have given themselves over to empty deceit based on human tradition. We like to create our own rules. It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel productive, I think, in many ways. It gives us ways to judge others uh, in ways that maybe we don't feel we deserve judging. And so it allows us to feel good about ourselves because it allows us to look down on others and look up on ourselves. Well, again, that, that's lies. Those ideas and those philosophies and those traditions are empty. They're pointless. They don't allow any sort of self-betterment They don't allow us to draw closer to God. They don't allow us to come to know our Lord any better. And so all they do is they allow us to create some sort of false standard by which we can live and judge our lives, but by which, honestly, they don't help us at all. You skip down a few verses in Colossians to verse 16. It says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regards to food or drink, or in the matter of of a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Here, we have added this idea of religious tradition. This is no longer some sort of self-made human tradition, but instead a, a religious tradition. We like them because it gives us this greater sense of authority for, again, the same exact things, to feel safe, or to feel productive, or as a means to judge others we can use our religion sort of as a a sledgehammer against the world around us. And so we can create all of these rules and guidelines uh, regarding how we worship, how we study, how we pray, how we interact with other Christians, our responsibilities to the world. And so these religious truths, they're they're things that we observe, uh, but there are honestly a lot of religious truths that aren't necessary to observe let me give you a couple of examples. We have a tradition that any religious activity must be ended by a prayer. I can remember the times and probably count them on my hand that I've decided to go away from that tradition. Uh, Maybe it's been a singing and instead of ending with a prayer, we end with a song. Or instead of ending with a prayer, we, we end with uh, just an announcement at the end. And it has always been hilarious to me that you'll dismiss the assembly and everybody just stays seating. They're like we're we're not really sure what to do if there's been no amen, because the amen is the signal that we can get up, that it's time to get up and move. And so we end every assembly with a prayer. You, know, you try to end an assembly with at the conclusion of a sermon and it becomes awkward. People just aren't used to to doing that, and and therefore they they almost because it creates an uncomfortable feeling. They want to act like ending with that uh, anything other than a prayer is wrong. Another religious tradition that we might think about is the invitation. You know, we have an altar call or an invitation at the end of uh, most of our services that are. Honestly, it's, it's merely a tradition. It, it doesn't really offer a whole lot. And it is very rarely taken advantage of in most places that I'm aware of. has very little effect, very little response. Yet it is offensive to some people if you do away with that. Let's say on a Wednesday night, instead of everybody coming back together and ending with a song and a, and a prayer and a short little invitation where people are invited to come forward. Uh, instead of doing that, what if we decided to just end with class? Well, I've seen congregations do that, and it's always a battle because there are some who are so tied to the tradition of the invitation that they get angry and frustrated whenever that invitation isn't offered at the end of a service. Well, it, do we really think people are only going to come to the gospel if an invitation is offered to them? Again, I, I have no problem with the tradition. It is a perfectly good thing to do to give people the opportunity to come forward and be baptized into Christ or to ask for the prayers of the saints so that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, but it is merely a tradition And there are a lot of traditions we do as people of God that aren't necessarily demanded. They are not right versus wrong. They are just something that gets done. Something that is maybe a good thing to do, but it is not a necessary thing to do. They are not truths, even though they are traditions. And so we need to be careful about equating these traditions or these practices, as if they are things that have to be done. Verse 18 of Colossians 2 says, Let no one condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Well, the ascetic practice was this idea of denying the flesh. It's practiced literally by some groups still with self flagellation, self harm, the cutting of oneself and some display of devotion to the gods. You see this over in the Kings when Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal, and when the prophets of Baal are dancing around the altar trying to get Baal to send fire from heaven, they start cutting themselves in order to try to get their gods' attention. Well, that kind of thing still exists in some religions today. Not many. It's not common anymore in our culture because our culture tends to focus on pleasure, and self-care. But I'll be honest, this ascetic practice has kind of swung the pendulum from self-harm to self-care, and self-care has become a means in and of itself. We honestly tend to focus too much on self-care under the guise of spirituality in a lot of ways. You know, I've heard people argue that you cannot love others without first loving yourself. Do you get that? Because the Bible says that you should love others as you love yourself. They go, well, then that means you must love yourself best and love yourself first. Well, that is not what that passage means, nor is that the point the passage is trying to make. That is a justification of a cultural standard and trying to find it in scripture. You know, argued by some that we actually even honor God by self-care because, well, God created these bodies, so it's right to go to a day spa and relax and have your paint, you know toenails and fingernails painted. That's honoring God because it's honoring God's creation. Again, that is justifying a practice with Scripture, not actually trying to discern what Scripture says in the first place. It just does not by any means mean that self-care is wrong or that it's wrong to go have your toenails and your fingernails painted. But it is not a truth of of God that that we must do those things. Um, It's just one of those relative teachings that we've allowed to to filter into the church. God does not demand self-care. He demands selflessness. And so, again, I'm by no means trying to speak against self-care. I am trying to speak against arguing that self-care is right because God demands it. He doesn't. Uh, there are others uh, It's mentioned here that that claim access to some visionary realm. Now, I'm not sure exactly what all that means and how the worship of angels was practiced back in the first century. I do know that the claiming of special knowledge, though, is not just an ancient problem. Back then, there were a group of people that we often call the Gnostics. They practiced Gnosticism, and that meant a special knowledge. Well, now, just Gnosticism, or this special knowledge, comes in just about every form. You know, Some claim they know more than the traditionalists because they're more relevant. Some claim that they know more than the liberal because they hold on to the truth. Some claim that they know more than the younger generation because they have greater experience and they have traditions of past generations. Some claim that they know more than the older generation because they can see life as it really is now. And they have technology and advancements and they're able to know more. Honestly, we need to just quit thinking we know more than others. We are all limited. We all fight with our own presuppositions. We all need to just subject ourselves to the truth. And that brings me back to my point. We need the truth, the objective, God given truth. That should be our goal, not some sort of self exaltation, not pride, not proving ourselves right. We need to just make truth our goal truth that exalts Jesus and that recognizes God is the source of truth. He is the Word. Truth is God breathed. That is where we should be looking. You know, truth is not gonna be determined by opinion or tradition or religion or division or society. Truth is determined by God and God alone. Anytime we sidetrack ourselves from what God has done and what God has said, then we are gonna be uh, giving into relativism. We're going to be giving in to some sort of false truth or unestablished truth or questionable truth. None of that's truth. God's word is not questionable. We must accept it as the God-given and God-delivered truth for us to build our lives on today. I hope this episode's been helpful to you, and I hope you have had time to go back and listen to the episode with Nathan Ward as he did a great job talking about relativism and how this affects us in the church today. If we can help you in some way, talk about some truth uh, in the future episode, then let us know. Reach out to us at preachimpediments.com. We cannot wait to get out our next episodes for your listening pleasure and hopefully for your growing spiritually in truth. Until next time.